Thank you, Nigel. As Nigel said, uh, and as Lucy said earlier, this is the beginning of a new series, a new sermon series, in which we're looking at God's big picture uh, from the beginning right through uh, to the end of the Bible, how we fit into that big picture, how Old Testament, New Testament all connect together, how the Bible is one book with one overarching story, and how we are all part uh, of that story. And um, whilst over the last few months I have been up here occasionally doing talks at on Bible passages that have been five or six verses uh, long. And then there was one memorable day when I did a whole chapter uh, from Luke that was 57 verses long. And uh, today we thought we'd push the boat out, and I'm going to go from Genesis right through to Revelation. Uh, so if you've got, uh, if, there's, if there's anything in the oven uh, for lunch, uh, probably start worrying now. Uh, nope, 20 minutes, uh, 22 maybe. Uh, we're going to do it in today. And I thought what we would do, we had one reading from Genesis, but in order for all of this to connect in, in order for us to really appreciate uh, how Old New Testament is one book, uh, I'm going to read as well this morning from the opening to John's Gospel uh, before we start into uh, the talk this morning. So John 1, uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning I'd like us to play a little game in our heads. What I want us to do is project forward in our heads 100 years from today. So the year is 2119. And I want you to imagine in the year 2119 a setting which is a primary school. And in that primary school, we've got a teacher. Thankfully, we still get teachers in 2119. <laughs> and in that primary school with a teacher, the teacher is sitting down with her pupils. And she's sitting down to do a little project with her pupils about what life was like back in those old-fashioned days of 2019. And first of all, the teacher says to them, I've got this thing for you called newspapers. And they all screw up their face and thought, what? They used to get the news off newspapers? They used to read the news off newspapers? 
And then she says, well, actually, we're going to get more news now, and we're going to get it from this thing called the Internet, which seemed really modern back in the year 2019. And the teacher puts on this news report that she finds from the Internet. And the news report is dated the th- Thursday, the 31st of January, 2019. And the teacher puts it on the screen, and the pupils sit down and watch it with her, to find out what was going on 100 years ago. Item one on the news that evening. There were 4,677 people sleeping rough in England in autumn 2018. Up 2,909, almost doubled since the start of that decade. Charities were calling this a moral emergency. Was the UK a poor country back in those days? The pupils asked the teacher. No, she replied. The UK was the fifth richest country in the world. Item two in the news. A 17-year-old male was stabbed to death in Islington, North London. The latest victim of a plague of violence surging through the capital city. A reporter from the TV program spoke to one young man to try and find out why the problem of knife crime was so serious in London in the year 2019. The young man replied that he too would be dead within a couple of days if he didn't carry a knife with him. Is that really what life was like back then in 2019? The pupils asked their teacher. Sadly so she replied. Item three on the news that evening. One of the coldest Arctic air mass intrusions in living memory is surging south into the upper Midwest of the USA before spreading across much of the eastern two-thirds of the country. Such were the conditions in winter 2019 that a Chicago doctor in one of, if not the richest country in the world, said he'd seen horrific injuries to feet and hands. Some of these injuries from cold weather so severe that people may lose their limbs. At least 12 people died that month due to cold weather. The president of the United States at that time was a man called Donald J. Trump. And the president addressed the nation He addressed the nation through a social media platform called Twitter because that was how the world worked in 2019. And in his message to the nation, he asked the following question. What is going on with global warming? Please come back fast. We need you. Was he for real? The pupils asked their teacher. It's hard to tell, she said. The world seems to have been completely mad back in 2019, the pupils said to their teacher. Indeed, it does seem to have been turned upside down, she said. And in tomorrow's lesson, we're going to look at a thing called Brexit. 
what will future generations make of our stewardship of this earth when they look back on it? And more to the point, what does God make of our stewardship of this generation when he looks down on it and looks down on us today? Today, at the start of this new series on God's Big Picture, we're going to take a step back and we're going to go back to the very beginning. And we're going to reflect on God's purpose for this world and everything and everyone in it. And we're going to do that by looking at how the different parts of the Bible all connect together to reveal a picture of the kingdom of God as he always intended it to be. So there's some really important points that we need to remind ourselves on of or to hear maybe for the first time before we even get in to today's passage. The first thing that we need to remind ourselves of this morning is this. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. What we read in the Bible is not the will of the writers. It's not their opinions. It's the will of God. It's His message that He used these people to record. So everything in here is God's Word. There are two other things that are really important before we can even get into the passage. And one of these is given in Genesis 1, chapter chapter 1, verse uh, 1, the very first sentence of the Bible. In the very first sentence of the Bible, we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, that tells us that before there was heaven and earth, God existed. In other words, God alone is eternal. There has never been a time when God did not exist. So God is the eternal one. And the other important point is that God, from the very beginning, has been a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people mistakenly think sometimes that Jesus Christ came into being on that first Christmas in Bethlehem. And some people mistakenly think that the Holy Spirit came into being at Pentecost. But none of those are true. Genesis 1 verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the Spirit of God was there from the very beginning as well. And in John 1 verse 1 that we heard a few moments ago, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Who was the Word? Well, verse 14 goes on to spell it out. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was there at the beginning. The Word is Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, have all been present 
from the very beginning. And God, the Trinity, is Lord of all creation, including us. Genesis 1 tells us that after God created the day and the night, the water and the sky, the land and the sea, the vegetation and all living creatures, he then created us, human beings, for a very special purpose. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they, mankind, may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, there's something really important here, and it's something that contradicts one of the myths of science that the modern world tries to impress upon us. Because despite what scientists might claim, we human beings are not just another animal species. We are not somehow descended from chimps or apes or monkeys or fish or whatever else they come out with. The Bible tells us that we were made differently, that we were made to rule over the animal kingdom, that we were set apart from the created order, and we were given a special responsibility for it. So we human beings have a unique role to play in God's creation. And that is because God created us, not other animals. God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. Male and female, he created us. God created you and me and everyone we meet and all our neighbors and our work colleagues and the people we meet in the streets and everyone on this earth in his own image every single person, not just a select group, not just people who go to church, not just people who believe in him. God created every person on this earth in his own image. And that has profound implications for how we are supposed to treat other people. Because when we insult somebody in life, we insult a human being who is made in the image of God. When we look down on someone in life, we look down on a human being who is made in the image of God. When we turn our back on someone, we turn our back on a human being who is made in the image of God. Every single person we encounter in life was made in the image of God, and they have inherent dignity, value, purpose, meaning for that reason. I was struck by something I read this week. Some of you will have read it as, uh, as well in the Bible in One Year series. And it was a reading, I think, on Thursday of this week from Matthew 20. And it was the story of two blind men who approached Jesus. And they said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And it's the next bit that got me. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. The number of times we see Jesus having compassion in people is amazing. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. But what got me was this. The compassion was not conditional. It was not that Jesus stopped, first of all, to check if these people were followers of his. 
Were they like him? Did they believe the same thing as him? He didn't even ask those questions before he decided if he would heal them or not. Jesus Christ recognized the inherent dignity in all human beings because he knew that every single person on this planet is made in the image of God. And indeed, it was his compassion for other people, for other human beings, no matter who they were, that actually often pointed people to the love of God. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. So you and me and your neighbors and your work colleagues and your family and the people you meet at the supermarket and the people you cross going down the street and the traffic warden who gives you a ticket and anyone else in life you come across. They are all made in the image of God. Immigrants, asylum seekers, people from other countries, people who look and speak differently to us are also made in the image of God. And God was pleased with his creation. He was pleased with all that he had made, including us. We read over and over again in Genesis 1 that God said of his creation, it was good. But I think there's something else that God is saying to us this morning through Genesis 1. Because as I was thinking over and over this passage, I kept asking myself, why was it that God was so pleased with it all? And for me, the key message that I kept coming back to in Genesis 1 that I sensed that God was directing me back to time and time again was this. It was that God had a will and a purpose. That will and purpose was then enacted. And from that, God's pleasure came through. And there are three words that kept coming back to me. And it wasn't the words, it was good. It was three other words. Verse 9. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Let livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. 29, then God said to man and woman, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. What I'm getting at here is that every single time, what we're told is that God gave an instruction for something to happen, then it happened, it was so, and it's when it happened according to God's will and purpose 
that God's reaction was one of pleasure. It was good. When God's will is fulfilled, it is good. And when the world, or when we, step out of God's will, it is not good. I remember back to a Sunday afternoon uh, in October uh, of this year, feeling just the sense of the weight of the world on my shoulders, so many things to do for the week ahead, this mental list of things that I needed to get done that afternoon uh, in my head. And I just remember the sense of being told, it's only things. They don't matter that much. And it was one of those afternoons that I think I will never forget when Sarah and I got in the car and we had the dog with us and we went down the peninsula and we went to Valley Walter Beach of all places and I'd never been there in my life before and uh, we walked away along this, uh, this beach and I just remember, I remember saying, I remember thinking, I remember hearing in my head, it is good. That's what you're meant to be doing today, not all this other stuff. It is good. That's what I have for you today. It is good. That was God's plan. We've all had that sense in life of it is good. We see it in other people. We see it in our church family. We see it in the kindness and the goodness uh, of people. It is good. Sometimes somebody does something for you. Sometimes somebody says something to you. And we've all had those moments where we think it is good. It is of God. He has sent them to say that to me. What God wants for us is good. And that is because he created us to experience what is good for us. In Romans 12, verse 2, we read, Do not conform, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. But that verse also reminds us that we need to seek out, we need to discern God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for us. So in your life, if sometimes you feel that something isn't right, if you're in a situation where you feel you're being ushered along to do something by the crowd and it doesn't feel right, then maybe it's not God's will for you. Or if you're being asked to do something and you feel that it's not good, then maybe it's not God's will for you. How many times have we, in our stubborn arrogance, plowed ahead with all these ideas and plans that we have without properly seeking out God's will for them. At best, they're all right. At worst, they're utterly destructive. But what they are never is good. So how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place of experiencing that goodness, that good life that God created for us at the very beginning. Well, we need to go right back to the source of life itself. We need to go right back to the one who was with God in the beginning, to the one through whom all things were made, to the one who came to give us life, who came to give us life in all its fullness. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. As Jesus said to his disciples in John 4:16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we're going to get back to God, 
and if we're going to get back to the lives that we were created to live, then we do it through relationship with Jesus Christ. Because God's plan was never for a messy world full of misery and brokenness and illness and despair and destruction. That was never the plan. In the beginning, it was good. And today, as we come to celebrate Holy Communion, let us remember that it is only through faith in Jesus Christ, only through the one whom God sent to bring us back to him, only through the one whose body was broken for us on that cross, that we can come back into our right, into our good relationship with God. You may not be going through homelessness or knife crime or hospital treatment or any of those things that the class of 2119 will look back on. But every single one of us lives in a world where we know that things are not always good. That's because we live in a broken world for reasons that Nigel is going to talk about next week as we move on through the creation story. But we need to seize the key message from the beginning of the Bible, that God's plan for us, even amidst the mess of the world in which we live, is still one of hope. It is still that good plan that comes from him, a plan to bring us back to the goodness that was set out at the beginning of our creation, a plan that allows for eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because God has given us the promise of a better world, of a good world that will await us once more, no matter what we are going through in this life. And that plan is also recorded in the Bible. Jesus was there from the very beginning. Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a plan B. It was the plan from the very beginning. And through Jesus and through what was done on the cross, we have the promise of a life, of a better life, that is also recorded in the vision that God gave to John in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And on that day, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the beginning and the end.